0: I love this time of year. I love to watch the expressions on the faces of children, specifically, even my kids at certain times during Christmas. It's fun to see their faces, and you can tell a lot um, by an expression. Each Christmas season, my wife and I I don't know how long we've been doing this, but we will surprise our kids some random night during the Christmas season. And uh, whether we're sitting at dinner or whatever around the house, and we will tell them, okay, um, go get your favorite blanket or something and get in the car. And so, n- n- I don't think, Noah, you don't have a favorite blanket, do you? No? Okay. So, just to make sure, I don't want to, you know, wreck up his style or anything. If you, some of you guys think, oh, Noah's, and Noah has a, a blanket. Oh, that's cool. Um, but anyway, we'll tell them to go get stuff like that. And we'll say, get in the car. Let's go. And so last night was one of those nights, um, and uh, we went and got hot chocolate, and went to watch Christmas lights. Now my older three, they kind of get that now. They kind of get, oh, I, we're getting in the car, we're getting, our, we're in our pajamas already. Oh, I, I know what we're doing. So they're kind of already there. I kind of, kind of got that vibe. But but my three year old, I, I love to watch her. She still loves surprises, and surprises even as as. Like this. And so I love when she sees the lights. There's something about her face where her eyes get big and her mouth gets wide. You know that face. And she just, she's in awe of, like, wow. And I remember every Christmas season when it starts to be around, seems like Halloween now, that lights go up, right? Um, I'll, I, I always remember that face of hers when, when she sees that first house that's, that's lit up. It's like, wow. And Christmas morning. I love Christmas morning in our house. Um, when the, in that room, that room where the tree is, where the, light, the, the lights will be on the tree lit up and presents will be out there that they haven't seen wrapped before. They'll be out there and just that, that, that face that they have, man, it's priceless. I'm like, wow. There's another time of the year where we get this too and it's usually on 4th of July when you go watch the fireworks. Do you ever really watch the fireworks or parents, are you watching your kids, Right? And I love to watch my kids. Out of the corner of my eye, I'm I'm usually watching, especially uh, their younger ones, just as color fills the sky and the sound, and that sky is lit up, just the the awe on their face. And you can tell a lot by a face expression. uh, expression. It's priceless. Think about the life of Christ. Think about the different episodes in his life, the different events in his life. And can you imagine the faces Imagine the faces during Christ's coming from heaven to earth. Imagine Mary hearing from the angel that you're going to be with child. What? You know, imagine that face. If we could put faces to the events, but that child is going to be the son of God. Can you imagine the shepherds when they hear from the angel that the child is going to be born in Bethlehem and he is a savior? Can you imagine their faces as the angels, the multitude of them, filled the sky? Was singing, Glory to God in the highest. Imagine their faces. Imagine the faces of the Magi some two years after Jesus had been born, and the star appears, and, and they follow that star to the place in Bethlehem where he is. Can you imagine their faces that night? Can you imagine the faces of those who were part of that party that Jesus was at when he turned water to wine? Can you imagine the faces of the disciples that night on the boat when he walked on water? imagine the faces of the crowd when he would heal the lame and he would heal the many sick? Those who were blind, he would give them sight. you imagine the faces of those who gathered around on the day that he would suffer and die? That day brought sad faces, no doubt. But can you imagine on that third day after he rose again to life? The faces of Mary his mother and Mary Magdalene. And the disciples, as Jesus is alive, Can you imagine those faces? But what about the day when Jesus passes through the clouds and goes to heaven? Can you imagine the faces of his disciples that day? I bet it topped any fireworks show. <laughs> Never seen that before. Wow. Well, I mentioned those events because that's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to have in our mind today. Because there is great astonishment. There should be great awe filling not only our faces, but our hearts and our minds when we think about Christ. And what he has done and who he is. And today's a text that I pray does that. It stirs up in you some some this this awe feeling over Christ and who he is. And ultimately what that means for us. And so this morning, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, and we're going to look at three verses this morning. That's it. Some of you guys are shocked by that. No marathons this morning. We'll, we'll run a 5K. That's that cool? Um, but I want you to see this. Look at verse 14 of chapter 4. Eric read it for us. Um, it says this, therefore, in fact, I'm going to give somebody, can I give somebody a, some homework? Maybe all of you, and then if somebody falls through and turns it in, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how many therefores are in the book of Hebrew. You ever, anyone ever done a count just for the fun of it, just on the side? No? Okay. Let's, let's see if we can find that out. Therefore. How many times? It's a lot. It's a lot. Probably greater than any book I would imagine. Um, I haven't done the study on that. But therefore, again, all right? Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, there is a thought here this morning in this verse that is significant to us understanding anything that we're going to hear today. And yet, it is a phrase that probably many of us in here don't know a lot about. And it's the phrase, great high priest. Because when we think of a high priest, what do we think of? A, uh, think of. Um, at the nine o'clock hour, we were talking, and uh, I told them when I think of a high priest, I think of a big hat, right? That's adorned with jewels or whatever. That's just the first thought that comes to my mind. Uh, somebody else said that they think of the Pope. Uh, there's many different things that you might think of when you hear the term or the phrase high priest. But what's interesting is for some of us and for many of us, It doesn't mean anything to us. The term high priest, it's not our context. It's not something we're real familiar with that we're around a lot. For some of us, maybe our background is the Catholic Church. And so maybe we're familiar with the term priest. And we kind of understand that and what that might mean in the Catholic setting. But for most of us, the idea of high priest has lost its meaning. Or maybe over time, because it's been so long, um, we, we don't know what that is. But what's amazing about Scripture, what I love about God and His timing, is that He has given us a beautiful context of the history of Israel. And with the history of Israel in the Old Testament, one of the things that we have is the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood. And it talks about the high priest, not only who he was, but what he did as well. And what's significant about that is it helps us understand Jesus and him being our great high priest because it is significant. I want you to think about this this morning. Who was this high priest in Scripture? I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 5 real quick, just a few verses down in verses one through three, it kind of helps us out in understanding who is a high priest that would have served back in the day of Israel's, um, the, the, the years of the Old Testament recordings that we have. What did the high priest, who was he and what did he do? And so look at verse one and verse, th- and verse three, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men. And things pertaining to God, in order to offer both sacrifice, or gifts and sacrifices for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also beset with weakness, meaning he had weaknesses, and because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people. So also, though, for himself. So what do we learn right there in those three verses? First of all, the high priest was a man. He was a man and he had a role and his role was this, that he stood between God and the people of Israel and he represented to them God. He stood between, as a mediator of sorts, between God and the people of Israel. And he would do something. He would present, it says here, gifts of worship, gifts of sacrifices for what? For (laughs) sins, which would in turn atone for, a cover, be a covering for the removal of sin. And so thereby God would look upon this sacrifice and turn his anger away from the people's sin. But this would not atone or this wouldn't completely cover or fully cover that sin or remove it as we as Christians experience today wasn't the same. They would be reminded, though, yearly on a specific day. It was called the Day of Atonement. And the Israelites would be reminded of a few things. One, their sin. And the need they had to have that sin removed so that they could have fellowship with God. But it lacked. And it lacked for a reason. It lacked for a purpose. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4, it tells us, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so the writer definitely wants to make clear something. Two points I think he wants us to understand, especially the audience to understand, as he's writing to them, is that one, there is a God. There is a God. And second, we sin. And as a result of that, there's a barrier between us and God because of our sin. And so the high priest in his ministry was a shadow of something greater to come. Because the priest and his ministry lacked. Now this man, we learn here in verse 2 and on, he was to be a compassionate man toward the people. He was to be understanding toward the people. And he himself was in need of mercy because he also was a sinner. He was imperfect. So he needed to make sacrifices, not just for the people, but also for himself as well. And so surely, this man, sympathetic, but his sympathy was, we could say, imperfect. Not only that, this man... Um, was in the presence of God. He would go into the Holy Holies yearly, and he would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. But his presence, being present with God, was very limited because it was just in a physical place. Not literally with God. And this man would eventually die as well. He would have to be replaced. And so what we have is a picture of the priest. Is it's it's incomplete. That this man, though a important role, it was inadequate for truly what we need. But there was a purpose to that. There was a purpose to the lacking, because the priesthood, the Levitical system, the sacrificial system, the sacrifices that were made, everything that we have in the whole te- Testament was a shadow of a greater reality. To come. Think about it this way. Parents, you're in the store and you're shopping, especially this time of year, and you have one of your kids with you, smaller, and you can't find them. You ever, you ever had that moment? That moment of fear? And you're like, where are they? You know? Now, think about it this way. You you, you see them, and they don't really have these racks anymore. They used to have those round racks a lot of times in the stores. And so kids used to love to go and hide in those, right? Maybe you did that, okay? Or some of you guys are looking to the side. Your kid's with you this morning. You're looking at you. You've done that, you know? And so maybe they've done that. Now, think about that for a second. If you saw their shadow, but that's it, you never found them, but you just saw their shadow. You'd be lacking. You'd be you'd be hurting. You'd be covered with fear. And think about that for a second. That would be horrible. You don't want just the shadow of your kid, right? You want the reality of them. You want to see them. And so that's what the priesthood was. That's what the sacrificial system was. It was a shadow. But what we really want, we want the reality. And so it was pointing the priesthood to something greater, a greater reality to come. And it was pointing to, ultimately, the great high priest. That's the goal of the writer. When he talks about the priesthood and why he brings in places like chapter 5 and even through chapter 10, is what he's going to do is he's going to show them the system that lacked, But it lacked with purpose. And it was God's purpose to point us to our greatest need and a great high priest. And that's back in verse 14. That's what it says. We have a great high priest, right? Who has passed through the heavens and his name is Jesus, the Son of God. Right here in this verse, the writer gives us three reasons why Jesus is the great high priest. And the first one is this. He's the Son of God. We saw in chapter 1 that he received that title before creation. That he has a more excellent name than the angels. That's what chapter 1 and 2 is about. He's greater than angels. Remember, they were getting wrapped up in worshiping angels? Kind of Oprah-like. Oprah went through that phase, right? Calling her out. Sorry. Just do that. I think she has a good magazine. Some of you guys might like that. But anyway, she was wrapped up in that. Other people get wrapped up in that. Um, Chapter 3. He says that Jesus is greater than Moses. They were getting wrapped up back to Moses. They were tempted to fall back into these things. Why? Because they were being persecuted. They were suffering. They were having their property seized. They were uh, being threatened. And so here you have these Christians, and they were like, Hey, listen, this is tough stuff, living for Christ. And so they wanted to fall back on these things. But the writer said, continually, This is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal Son of God. In fact, look back at chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. It says about Jesus this, that your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And so Jesus is God, unlike the priests of old who were merely men, and he was perfect as the men of old were imperfect. And therefore, this made his sacrifice, his one sacrifice on the cross, enough. Once and for all. Jesus doesn't have to keep going back like the priest of old. Once and for all, because he's the son of God, his sacrifice is enough. That's why Hebrews 9 says, Verse 11 through 12 says what it says. Listen, it says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, that is to say, not of this creation. What is it of, though? Heaven. He entered heaven. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Meaning this, the debt that we all owe, he paid once and for all, On the cross. And he vindicated the righteousness of God by his own blood. That's who he is. He's the Son of God. And his sacrifice is enough. Not only that, but Jesus is with God in heaven. That's what verse 14 tells us. Where do we get that at? The priest of old would minister in the Holy of Holies once a year, but Jesus, it says, has passed through the heavens, meaning he is with God in heaven is referring to what? His ascension. And so whenever you read um, Acts 1 and you read about the ascension and you think, well, what's the significance of Jesus ascending? It's this right here. He's the great high priest. That's what his ascension means. He passed through the heavens and he is now dwelling in the true holy place of God where God dwells. How meaningful that is. This allows Jesus to be our forever high priest. That's what Hebrews 7:25 alludes to. Therefore, it says, He is able to also save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. That's what Jesus is doing today. He is saving people. He is interceding for His people. He's working on their behalf continually. That's what Jesus is doing, and that's because He is in heaven. With God, he is in the holy place. He has passed through the heavens. And lastly, listen to this. Jesus is alive. That's what verse 14 speaks of. Not like the the priests of old who would eventually die and have to be replaced. Jesus will not die. He will not need to be replaced. He will live and does live forever. He's the eternal son of God. Listen to Hebrews 7 verse 16. It tells us that Jesus was not a priest by physical requirements or anything of the law, but instead, he's a priest based on the power of an indestructible life, meaning this nothing is going to take him out. And he is our great high priest because he is alive and he is the eternal Son of God. Now, that was huge for the Hebrews to understand because they were so tempted to go back to this Levitical system, they were pressured. And they wanted to go back to what they knew, what was familiar. But the writer said, no, 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 no. This is what is real. It is Jesus. And he is your great high priest. Now, it could have been tempting for the people as they heard this to say, well, okay, that's great. But he is far and removed. He is in heaven. He is the son of God. He's eternal. Okay, but he is removed from us. We need something that is closer and someone who understands. And so listen to what the writer says in verse 15. He says this, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. I want you to see two things here. One, Jesus is our great high priest. He sympathizes. But this sympathy is different. There are times when, when people will be going through different things, and as I talk to them, and I know you experience this too in life, and they share with you their hurts or they share with you some problems that they've gone through or different difficulties, there's times where we can only imagine what that might be like. But what's cool about Jesus is this. He doesn't just imagine. He gets it. He gets it as one who has lived it firsthand. Think about this. Jesus physically went through pain. He went through pain. He went through the pain of, of losing his best bud, Lazarus, here on earth. He went through the pain of that. He went through the pain of being rejected and hated. Anybody ever gone through that? Sure. We've gone through that. We've had the, the friends turn their backs on us. We've had other people walk out on us. Many of us get that. Jesus definitely gets that. He understands that. Jesus faced a life where he didn't materially have. He didn't have a home to call his own. He knew what it was like to go without. He knew it very well. He faced the physical pain and suffering unlike any other. A horrific death on a cross. And so when you think about physically and mentally and emotionally Jesus sympathizing with us, he gets it. He understands completely what we're going through, whatever it may be, he gets it. And he's been tempted. It says right here that he has faced all the allurements of sin that we have faced. You think about that. Jesus tempted to lie? Yeah. Jesus <laughs> tempted to seek revenge. You betcha. Can you imagine the pressure when people were accusing them and in him and in that last days leading up to the cross, tempted to covet. He was around people of high position, people that had a lot of times, covet, steal, lust, being overtaken by self pity, murmuring to God. I mean you name it, Jesus definitely was tempted. He knew the battle firsthand, but he fought it all the way to the end. But he knows, guys, he knows what it means to be tempted. In all things that we are, he understands. But yet, he did not give in to sin. It was perfect. And the writer wants them to understand that. Yes, he sympathizes with you. He is not far off. But he gets it. He understands the pressure. So don't bail. Don't leave. Don't go and and grab something else of olden days or fall back to olden things that you hung on to before to cope, to get you through. But hold on to Jesus because he is your forever great high priest. And so that's what he tells them. Two things I want us to walk away with today in light of Jesus being our great high priest, and this is it. The first thing is this in verse 14. What does he tell us? He tells us to hold fast to our confession. To hold fast to our confession. Do you ever feel that your hold on trusting God is slipping? Do you ever feel that? Have you ever felt that? You ever gone through seasons where you feel like your hold on trusting God is slipping? I know for some, especially as students, there's that period in life where you've had your, your parents' faith. You've grown up in the home and you've had their faith, and then you get to that certain part of your life where you start taking on the faith on your own. And, and at times, I remember for me, there were times of doubt, there were times of questions, there were times where you feel like, you know, it's like, what, what do I believe in and stuff like that. But I was taking on my own faith, my own believing for myself who Jesus was. I remember those seasons. And we have those seasons at times when we go through hard times and pressures are all around us. And, and it's those times where, where do we trust God or, or do we just try to grit it ourselves and and try to make it through on our own. And there's those seasons where we even will just feel like, hey, you know what, I'm just going to just give this up, give this up. And so the writer was like, no, hold fast. And what is that confession? What is he telling us to hold fast to? I think there's something going on here. Look at Hebrews chapter three, verse one, because he tells them this, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a holy calling, consider Jesus. So think about who Jesus is again. And what does he say about him? He says he is the apostle. What is the apostle? He is the sent one. He is the one who has come. And he is our high priest of what? Our confession. And so what is he saying? He's saying, don't forget who Jesus is. He has come. He was sent to be our high priest. What does that mean for you and I? He has come to be our great sacrifice, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves or what anything else could not do for us. He came to do it. He came to die for us. He came to be our representative before God. He came to take a stand for us. And he's working for us even still. That's what he is and that's what he's doing And so remember that, don't forget that, and trust him. And that's what he says in Hebrews 3, 6. He says, if we hold fast our confession and the boast of our hope firm until the end. That's what the people of God do. Our hope rests in our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Don't let that slip. And then second and lastly this morning, look what he says in verse 16, we'll be done. He says, therefore let us draw near. So in light of this great truth that Jesus is our great high priest, that he's passed through the heavens, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. The high priest of old in Judaism could only approach God at his earthly throne in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle or in the temple once a year. But now, think about this, you and I, can come to God personally because Christ has made a way for us. He has made a way for us to God so that we can draw near to him with confidence. And so what does that mean for you and I as believers? Is that we can go to God anywhere, anytime, and we can call on him. And we can ask him for help. This idea of confidence here, um, one preacher said this week that I was listening to, he says this idea of respectively being frank with God respectively being frank. That means just open and honest of what's on your heart and your mind. God already knows. He knows. But he wants us to come to the throne of grace honestly and open with him. With whatever we're facing in life. And what is this throne? It's a throne of grace. Think about that this morning. It's not a place of judgment. I mean, that's what it was like in Israel's day. It was a place of condemnation. It was a place of judgment. But listen here. It's a throne of grace that you and I get to go through. I love what J.I. Packer says about this time of year. He says, the cradle led to the cross. He says, we must see it in this context, speaking about Christmas. He says, it is more than a marvel of nature, but it is a marvel of grace. Jesus coming as our great high priest. Because of Christ coming and dying, we receive from God undeserved help. We receive from God, it says right here, mercy. Meaning, God gives us, meaning he does not give us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. He shows us grace, meaning he gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us help in time of need. Think about that for a second. Help. Do you like to admit that you need help? Guys? (laughs) Not often, right? We don't like it. What about when you get older and things just don't, your fingers don't work like they used to, right? Are you guys feeling that now? You're like, "Ah, I used to know how to do this, or I used to be able to do this. Maybe that's just what's coming for some of us. (laughs) But it's reality, right? And we start realizing, wait a second, I need help. All of us need help. All of us need help because we all sin. We all fall short. We all have sin and we we don't deserve the help we get from Jesus, but he gives it to us. We all have needs that we need help with. And Jesus understands it. He gets it. And he is our help it says right here in our time of need. Isn't that amazing to think about. He is our timely help. First Peter tells us this this morning and I want you to just think about this especially this time of year whatever you're going through. But Peter tells us this, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, meaning place your life Place everything in your world right now under God. Subject it to God. And then he says this. That he may exalt you at the proper time. And then he says this. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What anxious thoughts. What anxiety. What cares of life are weighing you down this morning. Jesus says, bring them all under the authority of God. Rest in him. Tell him. Trust him. He's your help in time of need. And he is because he reigns on a throne. It's a universal throne. He is over all, in all power and all authority as our high priest to bring you and I perfect, timely help. Help. So what does that mean for you and I this morning? Be honest with him. Go to him. Meet with him. Pray. Bring your needs before him. That is what he's there for. He's our intercessor, working on our behalf. Go to the throne of grace. For some of us this morning, the throne of grace is coming to Christ and recognizing there is a barrier between me and God, and it's sin. And I need that sin removed. And Jesus is the only one that can do that. For some of us this morning, that's where we need to go. We need to believe for the first time Jesus is our Savior. And to receive the forgiveness of sins from him. It's free this morning. You don't have to do anything for it. Jesus says, believe. Believe in me. Believe in Christ this morning. Um, We're going to come to this time of communion. We're going to draw near to God. We're gonna come and remember what he has done for us. I pray this morning, when you think about the bread and the cup as you hold them this morning, I want you to think, wow, what those faces must have been like. The works of Christ at his coming. And then also at his death. I also want you to think about the great expectation and anticipation we have that as he went through the clouds and passed through the heavens he's coming again and i pray our faces this morning would reflect a great joy at that great truth that yes he has come but he's coming again and let's be thankful for what work he has done on our behalf as our high priest let's pray